We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey there. We at Blue Wire just wanted to take a second to thank you for listening to this podcast. We know everything outside is pretty scary and uncertain, but we're committed to helping you get through your day by talking about the sports and teams that you love most. If you're looking for more great podcasts to distract you, check out bluewirepods.com. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the podcast and stay safe. Hello and welcome to the Esports Biz Show. I'm your host, Justin Jacobson. This week, we'll be discussing esports professionals. Just as a disclaimer, nothing here is intended as legal advice, as everything is for educational purposes only. This week's guest is Chris Smith. Chris is the founder and director of Big Esports. Big Esports is an esports consultation company based in Australia. They provide esports business consultation and strategy services, including gamer influencer campaign management, corporate workshop production, and public relations management. Big Esports has worked with many top companies, including Intel, EA, and AMD. Chris also hosts a highly successful esports industry podcast and is a member of the board of the Esports Games Association of Australia. Chris, thanks for joining us. Hey, mate. How are you? Good, good. You know, I know that we are a little different than my usual setup that, you know, the whole world's on quarantine, but the show must go on. Exactly, exactly. We're all we're all in uh, different places right now. I don't have my Schmick studio, but hopefully there's not too much um, echoing in this room. But besides that, yeah. Yeah, you know, okay. we do the best we can. I usually have the nice backdrop. Now I just have the white wall, so. Yeah, exactly. I had um <laughs> had an interesting podcast last week with with Patrick Mahoney from We Are Nations, and he it was similar to you. He had some some nice different colored records on the wall behind him in the man cave. So mm-hmm. yeah, I think it's a bit of a bit of a power play from you guys. <laughs> Where's my mm-hmm. records? I need to grab me some. 
Well, you know, you have a golden Xbox controller. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. Maybe I can dig up the mouse that I played CSGO with or something like that. Um, yeah, so to briefly introduce this week's topic, we're exploring esports professionals. So similar to other talent-driven industries such as music, television, and sports, a trend of professionals and other entrepreneurs have started specifically servicing the esports and gaming market. These include attorneys, talent agents, accountants, financial advisors, and marketing and PR consultants. Some of them are former gamers or coaches. Some are lifelong gamers. And others are established professionals that are kind of in ancillary entertainment and sports world who have transitioned into the gaming sphere. So what do they do? They really assist gamers and gaming companies with their business, whether it's contracts and corporations, visas, any tax write-offs and other tax matters, personal brand building and marketing, social media assistance, and even media training. So these professionals really take their usual day-to-day work that they've been providing for other entertainers, musicians, movie stars, models, and the like, and started applying them to the gaming world. So now we know a bit more about esports professionals. Chris, tell us about your previous esports experience. So for me, um, I feel like I've said this a, a million times in meetings and everything, and I think the pitch still isn't perfect, but for what I say is I kind of sat on all six sides of the fence. So if you were to, say, run an eSports tournament or go to an eSports tournament, I've been there in basically every capacity as the player, um, as the commentator, as the tournament operator, as the sponsor, as the VIP, as the media journalist, um, and you know, consultant, and, and all around kind of thing. You know, I started off as many people do in, as in playing myself. So I played top level in three different gaming titles as a whole: Battlefield Two, Bad Company Two, and then CS:GO, with a bit of Counter Strike Source in between, but nothing notable in there whatsoever. You know, top top one depending on the time in some of those games. You know, top six and some others like CS:GO, maybe top four depending on who you ask and how much they liked or disliked us at the time. <laughs> um, so you were you know, good. Yeah, was was fairly good. Was never a um, was never a star player, I guess myself, but someone who was always going to grind, put in the work, um, and played kind of a supporting role. Um, so in in Counter Strike Go, I would play like a support rifle role. A would be to keep the team together, keep people happy, and you know the emotions low um, and the spirit high. But B, a lot of the time, to throw those grenades or do and. I really need to fact check on this, but I think there was a, a Counter Strike one point six player in Navi called Say Nine, um, which is which was spelled C E H, then the number nine, um, and his job quite often was to just bunny hop out and die to gain information, and that would be me <laughs> sometimes. Um, I was kind of like a moral support as much as I was just getting the actual kills. <laughs> well, someone's got to be part of the team, you know. Everyone can't be the superstar. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah, and w- thankfully for us, you know, we did have a superstar, um, a guy who was an in-game leader, our, our sniper or orper as it's called, as well as our strategic mastermind and our main fragger. So he got most of the kills. That's very rare. Um, unfortunately for the esports industry, he's a doctor now, but fortunately for the world, um, I would say, especially <laughs> at this moment, he's a doctor now. But I'm very confident that if, uh, if Yin or, or Harry, you know, if he, if he didn't go off to medical school, he would definitely be you know, playing 
with or against teams like Astralis and, you know, Vitality and people like that these days on a global stage. He had, a, he had an understanding of the game more so than anyone else to the fact where he would do the research for me. He would tell me what demos to watch and coach me on where to hold on the certain map, say on Canterra's side. He would provide me with the coaching and experience. And not only was he a main, you know, a main damage dealer in the game, he was also an in-game leader, our sniper and our coach. All, and our best player, all at the same time, which is just ridiculous. And he's a doctor, so he's obviously very smart. Yeah, and he was studying medical science at that time with a HD average to get into medicine from from home, doing it remote. Uh, you know, he used to fall at, when we play Counter-Strike Source especially, he used to fall asleep watching demos most nights. You know, people fall asleep watching Netflix, but he would fall asleep studying, you know, very games versus... Um, whatever the second best team was at that time, a Counter-Strike Source alternate attacks or something like that. It was ridiculous. Nice. So what are you working on now? What's kind of the big stuff you're doing now? So so for me in the past uh, 12 months, I guess it's been a lot about influences. And I think that my company, funnily enough, what, you know, while we're supposed to be the experts, has followed what any potential client of ours does is they come to me and say, Chris, I want to work in, I want to do something in esports. You know, I want to I want to invest in esports. I want to get my brand into esports. I want to buy an esports team. I want to advertise in that section. Usually, the answer is you don't really. You want to get into gaming, which is such a wider market um, where you can you know use Doom to target thirty five year old males, or you can use Minecraft to target nine year olds. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's or Roblox, and there's so many you know different sections in there. And from that, often it's just, hey, I actually want to get into Gen Z millennials and gaming is just the, the interface, it's the way to talk to them. You know, even for me, you know, I'm 28, turning 29 this year and all of my friends who I've been playing games with over a long period of time, we hang out in games. We barely catch up in person anymore, even the ones we live in the same state with. We usually have a once a year kind of bonanza where we all get an Airbnb, we all fly together to the same place in Australia for four or five days, but... Besides that, even the ones that I live 30 minutes drive away from, we're hanging out in Dota 2 and Discord, playing games mm-hmm. together. And it's not as much about Dota 2 as it is just about hanging out and just talking uh, with each other and, and catching up. So for us, we followed that similar path. You know, I um, had some success early on in doing some consulting with companies like Fox Sports Australia and and uh, Ovo Mobile, um, who's graciously providing with the 4G I'm talking to you on today because with mm-hmm. coronavirus, Telstra has decided to do some uh, planned maintenance for two days on the internet um, mm. and a few other companies as well and thought, you know, I, now's, now's a good time to make a go of it. This was uh, 2018, early 2018, and, you know, eSports was was really starting to pop off. But for me, I followed exactly that same path where it started off as how can I convince companies that they need my service or that they need this industry and really trying to roll a boulder uphill the whole time, going to mm-hmm. a company and not only trying to educate them what eSports is but telling them they need this service when they don't, think they do or sometimes they're really against it um so we've gone from that to working more in the wider gaming market and especially working a lot more with with influencers and influencers i think is a great um you could say gateway drug for these brands to get in and it's a good bridge <laughs> for brands to get in because most from what i from what i can gather is that most brands understand uh, traditional sports, right? And most brands will advertise in that space. Then they understand from that you have sports stars. You know, you've got Shane Warne in Australia, the second highest cricket wicket taker of all time. You've got Dustin Martin in the AFL, who's kind of like the bad boy at the AFL. He has some sort of shaved mullet. He has neck tattoos. And, Who? you know, he, he's... people? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Aussie icons. And, you know, you've got these kind of people. So they understand what it's like to give that person a Mercedes, 
to do a TV ad with them for Bond's underwear or something like that, right? So that's easy then for them to understand, hey, gamers on Instagram, they're just the same thing. They're, they're still on Instagram. They just have a slightly different audience. And that's a way to start to, to push them slowly into that section. And we started to test that. You know, we started working with some brands and saying, look, hey, it's, it's hard to, to tell a brand, do you just want to, you know, you, I know you've never heard of this before, but do you want to put a, put aside 200K to sponsor an esports team? <laughs> like it's, it's a pretty crazy ask. But if you could say, hey, we see you're launching a new product coming up soon, carve off 10K, carve off 20K. Let's do something like within gaming. Let's do something within influencers. And then if you like it, then we'll see what we can do more, you know, as we as we go into that space. And that's that's the that's the advice I give to esports teams as well at the same time. You know, you don't, you know, imagine going on a first date with someone trying to propose to them. Like that's what it seems like a lot of the time when there's a brand who's barely heard of esports, you're going to them, you chuck them your deck and you're like, hey, can you be my front of jersey mainline sponsor for 500K a year? And they go, whoa, I don't even know what esports is. 500K oh, yeah. is a lot of money. And I think that there's a, I think that there's uh, maybe a bit of arrogance sometimes in the esports market that, hey, we've got this golden goose and this is amazing and everybody should be involved. But also, um, a lack of understanding sometimes where they go, well, I'm just going to pitch McDonald's for 500K because what's 500K to McDonald's? It costs much more than that to set up one store and they've got thousands all over the world. Not understanding that 500K is, you know, what, eight social media jobs, including 401K and dental and all this kind of stuff. You know, it's 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 investment in um, Google ads, which they know will provide them with X amount of return. They know that they'll spend 500K and get, say, 700 back. You know, it's this mm-hmm. kind of stuff too. And I think that, you know, we've, we've gone through all those learning experiences to ourselves. As well as if you were to ask me, you know, who's quote unquote winning in the in the esports gaming market right now? To me, it seems obvious that it's a the publishers and b the content creators. Um, and we, as a company, looked at the end of 2018 at our revenues, which sometimes were zero dollars in a month because we were just trying to push stuff uphill, and went, you know, talking with with Jerry Suckers, the CEO of Playside Studios, who's also in, involved with our company. He said, "We'll just look at where your revenue is coming from." And for us, you know, something like 70% of our revenue was coming from influencers and we weren't even trying. They were just my friends that when I worked at Corsair, you know, from NVIDIA and ASUS and MSI is reaching out to me saying, hey, Chris, can you help me with this project? And I went, sure, it's in our wheelhouse, we may as well. So we realized that without even trying, influencers was most of our dollars in as well. So sometimes you've got to follow the market and it's really hard to build a market as well as build your own market share at the same time, you know, to convince brands that they need to be in esports when they don't even think or, or know that they need to at the same time, you're trying to build a company. It's not like I'm going to release a mobile phone and try to steal 0.01% off Apple. And then I'll be retiring on my yacht, you know, with my, with my seven Ferraris. It's not like that at all. It's, it's like, you know, if you want to build a unicorn company within only esports right now, you know, a billion dollar company, well, the whole market's valued at a billion dollars. So it's pretty impossible you know, for you to, to build a billion dollar company, but gaming is bigger than movies and music combined. And I think that's like what we, like what you and I talked about a lot in our content before is that the teams that are doing really well are those who really blur those lines between the two. You could say phase almost is an esports, you know, they've got a rainbow six stage team. They've got a CSGO team, but if you look at their Instagram, their Twitter, their YouTube, they don't have really, franchise Lee really. Oh, yeah, exactly. Land, don't they have the Atlanta phase? They do. Yeah, they have Atlanta phase. So they yeah. just got that. Yeah. So that's a – it seems like an arm's distance thing. Um, but, but yeah, um, still, if you, you know, if you look at that kind of stuff, then they're not really talking about 
those things as much whatsoever. And even Atlanta Phase, it's a separate Twitter account, right? To their to their normal phase account. So, to me, it, it it seems like you know these are the kind of teams that are winning quite a lot. You know, they're kind of soft core esports, and it, and it makes sense to have esports there. It's almost like a tick. It's a tick of legitimacy to say yes, we're in that market. But for them, you know, they're always talking about you know their partnership with Offset, and they're talking about the the content that they're doing and their charity drives and all this kind of stuff. And it has and a flavor drop that they do. Yeah, exactly. It has a flavor of esports, but you know, Ewok, one of their pedestal people, High Sky, another pedestal, Phase Banks, etc. You know, these people aren't necessarily even competing like at all. Like, when's when's the last time you saw Phase Banks do like a Call of Duty video? You know, I would say he's a lifestyle influencer more than anything else right now. So I think that's that's the same blurred lines that we try to work with too. Where if it makes sense to sponsor something in esports, it makes sense, and we will divert some some funds from whatever campaign we're doing with a client into that. Otherwise, um, you know, if it needs to sit only with influencers, that works too. Because I think that's, I think that's part of the problem in the market that I've talked about over content. Coming to realize is that you know, esports people, like with a lot of other industries, are just trying to sell, sell first, you know, deliver later, and they think I need to get some revenue through the door. And whether I think I can do this or not, or do a good job or not, it doesn't matter because I can sign it and I can use that as a case study to sign more people. Um, where maybe it's not the best fit. Maybe that brand is not best to be fit within esports whatsoever. And for me right now, the only really good delivery of esports campaigns that I've seen, and I'd love to be corrected if anyone can reach out to me, is ones where brands are spending big dollars. So for me, unless a brand has less than one, two, 500K, 700K, it makes perfect sense for me to go into gaming and influencers unless they can sponsor you know, a Flashpoint League or a big esports team, which has content like FaZe or something like that, it makes perfect sense for me to chuck 10K at some influencers across, you know, across the world and, you know, work, work with them instead. Yeah, I think a point that you kind of made and something that I've been finding in my own work is that a lot of, especially the initial conversations, is just really education. Explain to these brands and these marketing people, this is what's going on here. This is how you do it properly. This is how you activate. And, you know, most of my last, my first couple of years was that process of picking brands that make sense and trying to explain, okay, this is how you would do it. This is how we should do it properly. You know, dip your toe in the water with, you know, the five ten thousand dollars Do just a product placement kind of thing. See what the response is. Instead of, like you said, writing a six-figure, half-a-million-dollar check, which is takes a lot more to go, a lot more kind of has to go into it, a lot more approvals to the point where it just doesn't become feasible. So, you know, I definitely have been noticing that within the industry. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's about measuring, you know. And for, for me too, what I'm seeing a lot is it's really about provable, 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 measurable return. Took me a while to say those words, mm-hmm. and you know, really, really having it like that because there's a there's a retailer in Australia who we were pitching when we had Shade Crew, which was an influencer kind of a phase of Australia influencer thing we we tried out here in Australia startup that we shut down. It, it didn't work out for a few few different reasons, but mm-hmm. a lot of good learnings. And you know, we were pitching a a mainstream kind of consumer online store here who's doing very well, and they said to me basically, look, we spend over a million dollars a month on Google Ads. But we know exactly what return we're going to get from that. You know, what return can you promise me if I'm going to do an influencer campaign with you? And I was like, well, that's not how this stuff works. Yeah, it makes, you know, it makes it makes sense to me. And, you know, we're working with a brand at the moment, which has provided us with a CPA 
Um, so we are doing that kind of stuff, but they have jacked up the CPA by, I think it's about 20% of the total because they do understand that there's still some brand recognition in there. They understand that influencers is a bit untested. They understand that they're still going to get logo share and exposure to people, you know, now and into the future, but still it's, it's still based on some sort of CPA. And I think that's a way that a lot of this influencer marketing is going in the future. And it's the same thing I talked about on my podcast with Jeff Pabst, the CEO, this so the, the chief revenue officer, CRO from FaZe Clan, saying that, you know, if you're going to sign with the Dallas Mavericks, they can say, yes, Toyota, I'll provide you with an 8% uplift in sales. But if you're going to sign with another esports team, can they provide you with that data? From what I've seen, no, but I know that a lot of people are working on it. Um, and I know that I've been told that, that some of those kind of decks do exist that I'm not privy to have access to. So I remain hopeful, but I definitely know that a lot of people don't have that yet because the data simply isn't there yeah i mean we know that there's little to no return on investment for most of these teams to begin with so it just you know it's hard to even think that the brands are really benefiting that much from it um so yeah, yeah so it's like yeah and it's like what is the team doing to to actually provide that return on investment besides logo share and you know attending tournaments and you know that's that's one thing i've come across in the past i had a t1 esports team asked me to help sell sponsorship for them. Um, and this is a world champion team in a certain game. And, you know, their, their deck just wasn't great. It, it kind of just said, here's how many pieces of content we'll do for you without saying what the content is, you know, who doesn't or anything like that. Mm-hmm. And it, it didn't, um, you know, say, here's how many clicks we're going to get through. Here's, here's how many clicks we've ever gotten in the past or anything like that. It was kind of just mm-hmm. like, here's how much prize money we've won. Here's how many Twitter followers we have. Here's how much engagement we have in our tweets. You know, good luck figuring it out (laughs) with currently no nba nhl or mlb you might think there's nothing to bet on well you'd be wrong our exclusive partner bet online still has hundreds of events games and props to wager on from their online casino to esports to poker and blackjack they're bringing vegas to you missing the nfl no problem bet online has live daily madden nfl 20 simulations you can bet on you can still bet on Survivor, Big Brother, American Idol, stock prices, and even the Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest. All open 24 hours a day and all online. Use promo code BLUEWIRE to join today and receive your new welcome bonus. Bet online, your online wagering solution. Guys, looking to last longer and go a few extra rounds? Get to BlueChew.com. BlueChew.com has the first ever chewable that brings your performance in the bedroom to another level. They've got the same active ingredients that are in Viagra and Cialis, so you know they work. And since they're chewable, they work faster. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach. Plus, you don't need to go to the doctor's office or spend time waiting in the pharmacy line. Blue Chew's online physician is free of cost, and once approved, your order ships straight to your door in a discreet package. Here's a great deal for you guys Visit BlueChew.com and get your first order free when you use promo code BLUEWIRE. Just pay $5 shipping. Again, B-L-U-E-CHEW.com. Promo code BLUEWIRE. So how'd you kind of get into the business side of esports? What kind of led you there? I kind of fell into it. I, I've said this once before. And it, it really makes no sense, but I promise it's true that I remember I remember distinctly walking down the hallway in year 11 or year 12 at school, um, 17 years old, and just came into my mind out of nowhere. You know, marketing sounds interesting. I think I'd like to do that. 
and I was walking to my psychology class because I, you know, originally I applied for a Bachelor of Behavioral Science to to minor in marketing, and that was to get me into um, a few different pathways that I was considering: social work, psychology, um, was considering police, um, and then also potentially marketing. So it w- would enable me to kind of do that first year, and it was very generic first year that would allow me to go straight into second year of any of those courses that I decided at that time. I think you can tell from that and my history that I, I've often not known <laughs> where I want to be or where I want to go. So I want to kind of keep as many doors open and as many fingers as many paths as possible. And yeah, I remember just walking down the hallway and thinking, "Man, I'd like to do. I'd like to do marketing." I started. Um, commentating for an online radio station called Net Game Radio. And I just started to take more um, accountability within that company. You know, I was just doing a little bit of Battlefield 2 commentary, but the game was dying at that time. You know, that's when my team became number one because I think we were, you know, we are probably like fourth best in Australia. And then by the nature of all the, the, you know, people retiring, we became number one. And, um, you know, I was in Net Game Radio and said, well, I'm starting to take an interest in Counter-Strike Source. You know, can I move you guys into there? And they said, if you want to do it, go for it. You know, and then I, then I started running a Smithy's Sunday Night Brawl like an 8 till 10 p.m. radio show myself where I would, you know, back announce songs and, um, you know, do my own radio show, do interviews and things like that. And then I started um, saying, well, hey, Nick Game Radio, you guys have a sponsor, which was a terrible mint company called Foosh Mints. Um, they were energy mints. They tasted horrible. But they worked really well. They did not taste good. And I said, we've got all this stock and we want more listeners. So why don't we partner with land parties and we'll expose them They'll expose us and we will sponsor them as well. Give them some mints, give them some Net Game Radio stickers. If we have commentators local, we'll send commentators there to commentate tournaments. So I did that personally as well. I started going to Catalyst Land in Launceston in Tasmania, 100-person land, still the best land I've been to, and would commentate games there and play games there with my Net Game Radio shirt on online. Um, and then their marketing guy left. So I said, yep, I'll take that. And this is exactly the same thing that I tell so many people to do. If you want an entry into esports, just pick one angle and stick with it and just ask for more work all the time. So many esports teams want someone to make tweets for them. So reach out to a tier three esports team if you have to and say, yep, I'll make those tweets for you that say, hey, we got a game coming up. Hey, we just won this game 16-4. We just lost this mm-hmm. game, you know, eight to 16. And Here's a clip. Here's, you know, and, and use something like canva.com, which I use myself that was set up for me to do my templates it's so easy. You can drag and drop. It doesn't take you very long. Do that for an hour and a day. And then after a while, say to them, hey, guys, I'd like to help manage the CSGO team. You know, I see that their server goes down sometimes. I want to make sure their Discord's set up properly. I want to make sure they're looked after and their entry fees are paid on time to tournaments. It's likely the team owner will go, sure, you're doing it for free anyway and you seem reliable, so you can do that now. And then you can say, hey, guys, I really think we should get into Rainbow Six. And if you do, you know, I want to personally kind of guarantee that it'll work and I'll take that responsibility on. I'll help you find the team. I'll help you sign them, do the announcement, pay their entry fees, all this kind of stuff. And then you can just start to go, you know, more and more from there. And, hey, maybe you help them to land their first sponsor and that that enables them to make more money and for you to move from that Tier 3 team to a Tier 2. Or sometimes it goes from a Tier 3 to a Tier 1. You know, I went from doing that stuff at Netgame Radio, the only tournament I'd ever ran was an invite-only 5v5 Battlefield 2 tournament where half the teams didn't accept the invite. The commentator <laughs> left halfway through. I didn't know how to set up the servers, and this guy called Talnoy, who's a legend in the Australian esports space who's since moved on, um, really saved my ass there, where the first-place prize was a server for three months and the second-place prize was a server for one month. I went straight from that to running a $30,000 Counter-Strike tournament. 
And those are the kind of leaps that you can do sometimes in esports because, you know, if if you are um, if if you are working in any startup, you know, a lot of the reason why you might leave corporate to go to startup is you can expand your horizon so much faster than anything else. You know, one of the other directors of our company, also the COO of Playside Studios, TJ, you know, he's in his low to mid thirties, and Playside Studios is Australia's largest independent games and app development company. They got it's 50, somewhere, I'm going to say anywhere between 50 and 70 staff. I'm not exactly sure how many. You know, they're doing Hollywood studio apps. Um, they've done like Jumanji, Kubo, Cars, Lego, Batman. They're doing influencer apps now as well, the Keep It Cleaner app uh, with two high-profile influencers, you know, Bloom, uh, Meditation app, et cetera, et cetera. TJ's the COO and main business development guy at this company at like, I'm going to, I'm going to take a guess, at like 33 years old. There's no way that if he stayed at EA, he would be the COO of EA globally or in Australia. <laughs> all working as high level as he is. And yes, the company is smaller than EA. I mean, that's pretty obvious. EA's got yeah. thousands of employees around the world. But he's at a much, much higher position in that kind of company. And if you're at a much, much higher position, and I, and I can't confirm this to, to be certain, it's potentially has equity. It's potentially has profit share. It's potentially has all this kind of stuff, which is very unlikely if you're working in another corporatized company. It's very unlikely that EA would just be like, yeah, you're 33. I'm going to make you CLO now. I'm going to give you, you know, Ten thousand yeah, chairs. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it allows him to develop those skills. And hey, maybe then he can almost use that cheat code that instead of being an executive at KPMG at sixty, he might end up being executive at KPMG at forty-five because he's done yeah. that shortcut to make that startup. And that's why you see these, you know, thirty-five-year-old Silicon Valley entrepreneurs who are very successful suddenly sitting on boards of these big traditional companies as kind of like a a young person and, you know, talking to one of my friends um, who's a very successful uh, businesswoman herself here in Australia, you know, saying that I think every board needs a young person. <laughs> uh, it's kind of like a, you know, it's, it's like the, the folder of young people, they should be called or something like that. Um, yeah, it, it makes perfect sense to me that you can use those kind of things to, to circumnavigate. Okay. So tell us a bit more about Big Esports. What are you guys kind of doing there? Sure. So there's a, there's a few things we're doing at the moment. I think with, especially with coronavirus and everything that's going on, there's a lot of sports we're talking to about how to activate with people online. I think globally, we've seen some awesome examples of NASCAR, IndyCar, um, F1. Um, there's supercars here in Australia. And NBA. Uh, I know they're simulating games. Yep. Some NBA teams and a few others going, well, we can't just do nothing. You know, in, in Australia, the Prime Minister here has said, um, pretend that what's happening right now, which is, which is you know, non-essential service lockdown, is going to be business as usual for six months. That's what's going to happen for six months. So if you're a sport, you can't just do nothing for six months. If you're a team, you can't just do nothing. And, you know, there's say that Australian Football League in Australia has stood down, I think, 80% of staff, but they've still got some staff there. So what are those staff doing? They've stood down all their players and a lot of their staff. But you still want fans over that period of time. And if you can afford, if you've got money in the coffers to invest in this time, it's almost like I see buying the dip. You know, AFL um, was one of the last sports to run globally. And I'm not, I'm not sure if you saw, but Patrick Mahoney, the um, uh, I think it was that his name? No, some someone else. One of the um, one of the famous NFL commentator guys who has a very famous podcast. Um, 
he picked up the AFL and he stayed up until 3 a.m. watching it. And all of these Americans started going nuts about the AFL because it was simply just the last sport in the world that was operating at any time. And it's a, it's a pretty cool sport. And that's what he was saying too. He's like, this is what NFL should be, is what AFL is. Um, okay. But yeah, it was, it was really interesting seeing that. And, and that's the kind of way I see it. So imagine if you're a sports team or a sports organization and nothing else is happening, if you can maintain activity, if you can maintain something, keep in the front of people's minds, that could be where you set the difference. You know, let's say you work in equestrian. Let's say you run a state-based um, football or soccer um, league. You know, if you've got 300, 350 teams in your state that are all local clubs that can't play now, um, I'm sure they've all got at least one person who loves to play FIFA in there. So can you host a FIFA tournament online with them where every bit's free entry and the first place prize is $2,000 because these kind of people don't play for prizes anyway. They, they pay for they yeah, play for sign jersey. Yeah, exactly. So sign can, you, can you do that? Whatever. And it doesn't cost much to run an online tournament. I've done, I don't know, it probably 30. It really costs nothing to give a signed jersey. Yeah, exactly. Right. And post offices are still operating. That's an essential service that's counted here in Australia. So... It seems to be it seems to be a great opportunity, and you know that's that's a way. And I almost see it as like buy the dip um, in in investment. You know, I had a good article sent through to me by Jerry about you know now's the best time to, to buy into these you know gaming companies. Not financial advice, by the way. I don't have an AF, I don't have a financial securities license. It's just an article I saw online. But you know, saying that's the way I see it with content right now. You know, a lot of companies that. I've, that are friends and, and also clients of mine that work in the media space, they're seeing like anywhere from four to like 15x amounts of people on their website at any time. A lot of Twitch streamers I work with are seeing a 1.5x growth. And yes, the, the dollars are down. You know, the gamers group who owns um, Gamer and Dot Esports, Riyadh, he commented in the publicly in the group that you know their ad rev is already down 20 to 30 percent. That was on Friday, I think, and they're expecting it to go down to 40 or or lower. But the viewership is so much higher. So if you can invest something during this time, even if you can just keep your content going and not lay off staff throughout that time, there's a potential that your viewership has increased 500%. Maybe that's going to go down by, you know, half after this is over, but you've got some new fans. You know, you've got some some people who were never exposed to you before. They're going to say, well, now I'm back at work. I actually really like the content these guys did over this period of time. I'm going to keep reading them, you know, no matter kind of what happens in the future. Okay, cool. So, yeah, we're going to move on a little bit forward. Um, so how is working with eSports talent kind of different than working with other talent areas? Is there anything kind of unique to the gaming influencer world? Yeah, it's interesting for us, like, to – to say like my validity, I guess, in this space, you know, we, we did Shade Crew for a while, which was utilizing traditional Instagram influencers primarily who have played games their whole life, but not really talked about it, bringing them into the gaming space. So working with some, you know, kind of prankster and lifestyle influencers, working with um, some sports celebrities, Shane Warren, who I mentioned before, and his son, Jackson Warren, um, working with some fitness um, and entrepreneurial influencers and stuff as well. And, and recently we started doing a lot of work with sports talent you know, just doing, uh, helping out Braxton Miller a little bit, NFL player, um, mm-hmm. working with a boxer at the moment um, whose, whose fight was cancelled at kind of the 11th hour at Madison Square Gardens, which is very disappointing um, to see because I would have loved to see him fight. I think he would have won pretty easily. Um, <laughs> and working with some UFC fighters as well. We signed a deal with EA and Tyson Pedro, UFC light heavyweight. Um, we were working on a 
on a show that was upcoming, which is up in the air as every, everything is at the moment as well with a bunch of USA fighters and stuff as well. And, and then obviously we, we work with gaming influencers and it's really interesting. One, one of the most interesting things to me because I'm a nerd is just looking at the different pricing within each market. UFC fighters are cheap. They're so cheap. Unless they are top of the crop, then I think maybe they're, they're a bit too expensive because there's so much hype around them. So mm-hmm. it, it's always hard when you're thinking about traditional influencers because it's kind of like the articles that I've seen on movie celebrities and why they're not used anywhere near as much for any brand except for often Chinese brands because their audience is too wide. You know, if, if you're saying, hey, I really want to reach – you know, I, I, I really want to reach 18 to 24-year-old males that are a bit boisterous and like technology. Straight to CSGO. Like, that's perfect. When you go to the Intel Extreme Masters here in Sydney, it's full of 19-year-olds drinking beers, having fun, doing shoeys, yelling, getting loud, having a great time, buying jerseys, smiling, slapping each other on the back, that kind of stuff. Perfect market. But if you're going to work with Chris Hemsworth, you know, Australian actor, yeah. It can be really hard because there are nerds who love him because he's in movies that are that are that kind of culture. There are middle-aged housewives that love him because <laughs> he's a good-looking rooster and he's in movies, you know, with a good-looking body. And, you know, there are people who are fitness fanatics that follow him because he has a fitness app himself too. So then it's like, well, if you want to push a very specific product, a budget line Toyota Corolla, then that becomes really hard because some people who are senior executives like him, you know, some of the middle-aged women who could be senior executives. Some people could be 18-year-old males who like him because of the nerdiness of the movies that he's in. So then it becomes hard. So it's much more targeted. And also the pricing then becomes hard because then you're kind of paying for their following, but their following is highly not relevant to you. Mm-hmm. The same way that if we work with a retailer who's specifically in Australia and only wants Australian views and, you know, we work with a large influencer like Muzel called Laserbeam. Laserbeam's got 12 million subscribers. He was the eighth most watched creator on YouTube last year as a whole, 160 million video views a month kind of thing. And, you know, his audience is very likely probably like 3% Australian. So I'm sure that he wouldn't want me to come to him and be like, well, 3% of 160 million is whatever the maths is, you know, I'm going to give you 5K. And he's going to be like, no, a 60-second pre-roll is like 40K. And like, well, it's like, dude, I only care about Australian viewers, but he obviously cares about his channel and his views as a whole. So I find that that part really interesting. But also just making – the hardest thing is making sure it, it seems legitimate. You know, and, and my advice to Julian Rodriguez, the team team Hammerhands, he is uh, super super lightweight, who's nineteen and zero. And you know, my advice to him was start to include more gaming into your content. I understand by talking to you that, that you love to play FIFA, you love to play NBA, but your fans don't know that at all. And if you all of a sudden pivot and become like, hey, I'm a gaming channel now. Everyone's going to be like, what the hell's going on? Like, A, I don't follow you for this. B, I never knew you did this. C, it seems really inauthentic. Like you're just trying exactly. to grab the market and run. So if you can start to integrate that. Some people that do it super well, UFC fighter Robert Whitaker, Australian fighter, previous middleweight title holder, lost it to Israel Adesanya in New Zealand. He's sponsored by Bethesda. He's been in a bunch of their promotion. He goes to PAX Australia, which is a 75,000-person gaming convention here every year. He's on the Bethesda booth. He talks about Doom on his podcast. He, talk, he talks viscerally about how he's been playing it since he was a kid. He loves the game. He explains why. Um, you know, Israel Adesanya, who, who took the belt from him, is a massive weeb. Before he fought against um, Robert Whitaker, he wrote a death note in the um, he, he wrote a death note in the octagon before they fought, which is a very very popular anime. It was also made in the, into a live action on um, 
on Netflix. Um, he has photoshopped um, photos to make his stances look like Naruto. He did a he did a face off stance with one of the best middleweights of of all time. Um, where it looked exactly like a Naruto image. So he photoshopped it like that. He bought his McLaren P1, I think it was, because it looks like a Naruto character. And he talks about it in a video. Like that, that is authentic, right? And some some sports people I know, they are like that, but they don't talk about it much on Instagram. There might be an Instagram post every six months that says, hey, I'm on Fortnite, um, or just a picture of them playing. But it needs to start being authentically integrated into their content and how that works. But you know, going back to, I guess, the wider view question as a whole, yeah, it's really interesting to see this development of, you know, traditional people coming into the space, but just making sure there's like a, a, a fit and a purpose for it and also understanding what they're used to charging in their industry. The makeup industry has extremely high profit margins. They spend a lot of money on marketing and, you know, you see uh, a new palette launched by a certain company that will fly 30 influencers to Bali, you know, in probably not 30, but, but more like 12 influencers. They'll fly them from all over the world to Bali in Indonesia. They'll put them up in a five-star villa hotel for a week. They'll take them out to dinner every single night. You would be absolutely insane if you would think that a company like Corsair or Razor or Logitech would ever do that because the margin within this industry is nowhere near like the makeup industry um, because the product is so much more expensive to R&D and to develop this microphone than it is to, you know, once you've developed the powder for the makeup to just keep keep repurposing that. There's not as many tools that, that are required and not as many parts, physical parts that are required. So that means that these makeup influencers, and I have seen this because I was looking, I was scouting for some for EA um, to do it, to do a campaign and, and some other clients as well. Man, they're expensive because they're used to being paid so much because that's what their industry is. But it makes sense. If you can command that money, you'd be stupid not to charge it. But it's it's not applicable a lot of the time for that gaming industry. So just, just that and, and also understanding the purpose as to why you're selecting these people. Um, there was a campaign in the past. I don't want to talk too much shit about it, but it was a campaign where um, kind of like a, a traditional influencer set up their own esports team and they played with another three or four traditional influencers together. And it was terrible because none of them knew how to play the game. They did a video <laughs> of them playing in the tournament and they got knocked out instantly. I think between them all, they maybe got one kill. And the way you can tell as a gamer at the start that it was inauthentic is because every single time they went to do something on their keyboard to play, they would look they at it. look down. Yeah. Well, you got it straight away. Like they wanted to, you know, they wanted to drop a weapon, pick something up. They would look at their keyboard and you could tell straight away, not a gamer or doesn't know how to play this game. So maybe they should have done something a little bit more light touch a little bit more <laughs> right, a little bit more in their wheelhouse yeah exactly maybe some rocket league or something that's easy to pick up it's fun it's engaging it's exciting like you don't have to chuck someone and, and we went through the same stuff with some sports and esports like yes Fortnite is big but if you want to get a traditional golfer or a traditional tennis player or something who doesn't know how to do it man it's hard like we got shane warne like i said you don't know who he is right but second highest wicket taker of all time in in cricket so kind of a legend in, in that industry and we had him playing Fortnite, and it was great he's a really good guy and it was funny to see for a while but after a bit it was like he doesn't know how to aim and he doesn't know how, he doesn't to, build. Know how to build yeah like i don't know how to build <laughs> Yeah, so it loses its appeal over time. At the start, it's like, ha-ha, funny, boomer, playing video games, he's a cricket player, he's in esports, this is really cool. But then after a while, it's like, okay, he, he doesn't know what he's doing. And it was good because we, you know, I think the stream went for an hour or something, which was a good amount of time. And we ended up, you know, uh, being featured on some meme pages and, his, and the channel got picked up and kind of exploded for a bit. So everyone's like, what the hell, Shane wants streaming video games. But, you know, I think it loses its appeal after a certain period of time. And 
We saw that with with their influencers who we moved to Twitch. We saw their first stream concurrent viewership versus their second versus their third versus their fourth. It just drops down, 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 down till you get to like your sixth stream and then it kind of sat pretty stable after there. So just because you have 200,000, 1.5 million Instagram followers does not mean you're going to be getting 20,000 concurrent viewers on your stream from day dot. Um, and, you know, we've tested that quite heavily with an influencer who had 175K. He was playing with um, AFL players in Australia with 20 to 30K every time. He was playing with a singer who's who's doing very well on the global circuit at the moment with 500,000 followers, this kind of stuff. Like we could see, you know, how many views these people can realistically command on a different platform than what they're used to posting on and being followed on, which is Instagram. Yeah, especially from the beginning, it's like I was looking into some of these things because it's a big trend in the music world of, you know, musicians and even some of my clients like setting up Twitch to like do fireside chats or to bring you kind of like live DJ sets. And it's like, mm. yeah, you may have 50,000, 100,000 followers, but how many of those are you to Twitch? How many of those are going to download Twitch? How many of those are going to tune in at the exact time that you're doing things? You know, as you said, you start going down to percentages, 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 where you maybe have 10 live viewers, which is cool considering you just started out of nowhere. But when you used to six figures to have 10, you know, yeah. it's pretty alarming. Yeah, I think it can I think it can hurt a bit. And some of the advice from one of the gamers that we had in Shade to one of the non-gamers was, I wish I could do this on StreamYard, is turn off your concurrent viewership so you can't see it. You can do that in OBS. So you can't actually see how many people are watching you live. Because I find the same too when I'm on LinkedIn. Like I keep watching that and being like, oh, I've got 16 now, I've got 17, or now I've got nine. And it's stupid. Like I don't need to worry about that, especially not when I'm live. I need to worry about the guests and the discussion and, and what's happening and not be distracted. But it's it's super easy and it's common. And you, you're 100% right in what you were saying about it can be disheartening with those numbers. And it can be hard when you've, you're used to getting 30,000 likes per Instagram post to getting 30 concurrent viewers. But need – but. Also, at the same time, remembering that some people fight their whole life for 30 concurrent viewers and never get there. <laughs> so if you can start with 30, you can build. And, you know, Seth Godin, this is marketing, fantastic book for anyone to listen to. You know, he always says, focus on your first 50. People are so worried about their millions customer. They're not worried about their first 50. So if you've got 30 concurrent viewers, see if you can get yourself 50 subscribers. And, hey, that's, that's 50 times $2.50 a month. That's a good bit of money to start kicking yourself off to pay, to pay attention to it and ask those 50 people who subscribe to you, why? Why are you here? What kind of content? How did you discover me? You know, Would you like to play with me? Uh, what other streamers do you watch? And things like that too. And you can start to build over that period of time. And I've tried to do the same with a podcast too. Whenever anyone comments, hey, I listen to your podcast, like, a, a, it's, a, it's an honor, but B, asking them those same kind of questions. Why? Like, why do you listen? What information do you want to see? What do you want to get out of it? Who's your favorite guest? And it's been great for me because uh, some of it is I got more listens because one guy listened to one of them and said, hey, I want to know your best of. And I said, well, what do you mean best of? It depends exactly what you want to learn about. And he's like, well, I want to learn about esports teams and how they make money. So I was like, bam, you know, Jeff Pabst from FaZe. And I was like, you know, Anne from Anne Matthews, co-founder of Fnatic and previous finance officer and, you know, et cetera, et cetera, all this kind of stuff. And it allows you to really understand like who your core audience is. And I think it, it happens. We probably talked about this in a podcast is that it happens so much in, in esports that people are so worried about, you know, their millionth fan. They're so worried about being 100 Thieves, so worried about being FaZe. But if you look at it, from a timeline perspective, how long has 100 Thieves been around? And you could say they're probably pretty similar in size to FaZe across their following. But they did that from zero. You know, yes, they had Nadeshot, who had multi-million um, followers himself, or at least, a, you know, at least a million. But 
they still had a grounds to start from. They still had to start from somewhere. And if you're an esports team, there's no reason you couldn't pay an influencer 10% equity and $5,000 a month simply to be the face of your brand like so many other brands do. There's no reason you couldn't manufacture your own nade shot. So take a look at how they started from zero. And you know their zero might be different to someone else's zero, but it's definitely obtainable. There are definitely teams that raise $10 million before you know filing for their name to be registered, like, you know, things like that. So. So what's the Esports Game Association of Australia? What are you doing over there? Not enough, I think would be the easy answer. So the EGAA, it's been an interesting learning experience as, as with many things for us. So many, many years ago, I think like 2016, 2017, I was working for Corsair and I was thinking, people always ask me, Chris, I've got five grand a quarter to spend, you know, which was a reasonable amount of money in those days. What esports team should I sponsor? And I go, well, I'm seen as an expert in this space to these people and also they're my friends. If I tell them to go sponsor an esports team and it, and it goes belly up, that's my fault and I, I don't want that problem. And at that time too, I didn't want to, I didn't think any of those esports teams were sponsoring, not for that amount. So similar to now, it needed to be either less, like just some products or much, much more mm-hmm. um, to, to get some proper worth out of it. So, you know, I came up with this idea, can I create similar to, and I'm sure other um codes are like this but the nrl in australia if you want to be a player agent in the rugby league you need to go through a course and get a tick and then keep renewing your license so i thought can i do kind of similar can i have a list of people who will go through some sort of process with me where i can verify they're actually a registered business because that time so many esports teams weren't in australia they were just functioning just as they were through an owner's bank account tax tax implications talk to your accountant um and really and, um, you know, so, so are there some people I can give a tick to and then say, okay, there's a bit safety on my side. So I went to, I went to Nick Vanzetti, um, current vice president of ESL APJ and a real esports icon in Australia, kind of, kind of, uh, it's a lot, uh, he, him and his team are a lot of the reason esports is where it's at in Australia right now, as in as advanced as it is and said to him, I want to do this. And he said, look, a lot of my problem as ESL is, I um, have to deal with all these disputes on behalf of teams and players. And I don't want to do that. I'm a, I'm a tournament provider. I don't want to get in the weeds and be like, did this team steal this player and like make rulings and things like that. So, so can you guys work on that too? And I said, maybe haven't really thought of that. You know, we brought on board um, Matt Jessup an esports lawyer um, who's my lawyer as well now um, to do some, uh, some some work with us around you know what's the legality of this you know he he was an NRL player agent um, and he did manage a bunch of male and female players so he did understand what that was like from that standpoint we brought on Dave Harris who um, is from Guinevere Capital who has a I think I can't remember what the wording is controlling stake majority stake a large stake in Excel in London who's an esports team doing well and some esports mm-hmm. teams in Australia too Excel just brought on Fanatic CEO as their CEO, CEO or COO and they brought on uh, chief of marketing from Adidas onto CEO or COO something like that so they're doing extremely well I ended up pivoting a little bit to be Everyone was talking about governing bodies at that time. Everyone's still talking about governing bodies. Um, I think most people understand that governing bodies are a bit of a farce as far as esports globally goes. Usually they are what I would say is someone walking into your house and saying, I'm your dad now. And people go, who the hell are you? Yeah, what's your authority? Why should we listen to you? Yeah, and do you have the publisher's backing? Is, Is the Call of Duty World League listening to you? If not, should I listen to you? Is the Is the Overwatch World League listening to you? Does Riot Games report to you? No. So, you know, that's that's the other issue as well. Are you going to get 10 cent to ever 
um, you know, report to someone? Probably not, unless they're, in, you know, unless they're highly it's relevant the to them. Government, right? <laughs> yeah, potentially. Um, but you know, it's 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 so, so we came around that. So then it went, okay, how can we be more for where we came from? Nick Vanzetti was driving vans multiple states to run esports tournaments. You know, I was sponsoring his events for a thousand dollars and selling products at his event. Um, you know, people like, um, you know, other people like Jason Spiller, who's on the board as well. You know, he's been in the grounds, boots on ground in New Zealand um, way longer than I have running World Cyber Games qualifiers, you know, now doing a lot of HP Omen marketing. So I'm sure he's glad you bought a HP Omen laptop. Um, and, and, you know, other, other people on our board, Dan, uh, and I can never say his last name, Cheblicek, but he was um, playing at the Championship Gaming Series as a pro gamer in 2007 from Sydney Undergrounds playing in the US and this kind of stuff too. So how can we support where we came from, which is, you know, a player or a uh, organization or association which represents the, the body as a whole and says that we're not a governing body, we can't tell you what to do, but let's try to be that focal point where we can run um, we can run certain boards and groups. We can run like our esports games awards that we did for Australia only, where we can do our conference, which isn't to isn't like a lot of conferences, wasn't focused at all on external people coming in, but only focused on internal. The issue that happens is when you get seven busy people together who are either um, like Nick Vanzetti got promoted to look after all of Asia Pacific Japan, not just Australia. Super busy man trying to develop that region because they were very underdeveloped in in that whole region. You've got people like Dave Harris, who's now between Australia and London nonstop. Matt Jessup, who joined, uh, he he kind of sold his lawyer services to a firm and then left that firm. Me, who's building my own business. Dan, who's who's building Heaven Media here in Australia as well. How do you take those seven really busy people and give them more work? The answer is mm-hmm. it becomes hard. It becomes some people will take more initiative than others at certain times and then fall off and get burnt out. Other people will take more initiative. So for us, we had to, you know, we had a strong start and then we had a big fall off for a long time where, you know, we had a lot of internal talks and had to be like, are we servicing the community properly by doing this? Are we just being more of these people who kind of claim to be some sort of governing body and do no, do no work? Hmm. You know, how yeah. can we make sure that we're servicing? So we had some good board meetings where we put some proper plans in place and you'll see some more stuff from us coming up soon, which is more sustainable, more focused, less broad brush and more about um, spec- specificity. Is that how you pronounce it? I don't know. More, more specific basically. And using that, using that same thing that I just said, who are we here to serve? Are we here to serve the game publishers? No, we're, we're here to serve the tier three team that just wants to make a business and wants to make it happen, but doesn't know where to gain information or contacts. We're here to do those industry dinners and drinks together where people can catch up, can talk to each other. We're here to run those esports conferences, which aren't $4,000 and aren't focused at people in suits, but focused on the possibility for a tier two and a tier one esports team to connect with each other and to talk about the problems they face and to learn from dominoes who might to come and talk to say, here's what I want to sponsor in an esports team. Here's why I'm paying attention to that. So it can give them the ammo to go and pitch to Toyota, to pitch to Coca-Cola and things in the future. You know, we're here to service that internal community. And I think a lot of the time, um, I haven't said this for a long time, but in the past, you know, people have talked about esports being recognized as a sport and governing bodies needing to be reporting to the government for that to happen in, in, at least in Australia, New Zealand, that that's what needs to happen. You need to have a governing body for it to be recognised as a sport. Saying that, I don't, I don't think we're ready. 
in in a lot of those senses of the word. I don't think you know people argue about yes, we're a sport, no, we're not a sport, etc. But I think that the industry needs to be tighter before something like that can happen. And if there is a governing body, a lot of the time, the constituents of that section don't recognise them as being so. You know, we've seen this a lot in the past and now we're seeing these player associations. Actually, I saw one announced like yesterday or the day before, Chinese Dota 2 players have unionised to create um, their own kind of union or player association. I need to do some more reading on that, but definitely going to. But yeah, for us really, you know, is it, the cliff notes is that, you know, we started it through a process of, of very informed discussion. We pulled together a, a team of very wide, different people. We've got some male, some female on the board, not enough female. We're trying to get more. Um, we we put some plans in some plans in place. You know, we ran a great first event which sold out. It was like two hundred tickets or something. We ran a dinner afterwards which had an esports awards. Um, we you know had some some great movements happening, and then everything fell off the wagon. And then we had to come back and say, guys, are we serious about this? Yes. How are we going to make sure that we don't fall off the wagon in the future? Um, and there'll be some announcements coming about that in the future. And and really, how do we drill down and focus on who we? I want to say who we care about the most, but who we're here to serve the most, which is the the common denominator, which is the esports pro, which is the esports team owner, the organization owner, the brand um, rep from MSI, who used to be my intern, who's been around in esports for 10 plus years, start off running a tier three esports team. You know, we're, we're here to serve those kind of people. We're here to serve their best interests and to help to connect them together. Okay. So it definitely sounds like you guys are doing a lot over there. So to kind of bring this all together, where does the future of you know esports and the consultation side? Where where we go from here? I mean, with the whole coronavirus thing, it's really interesting. You know, like I said, um, you know, we're working with a lot of sports and how to maintain relevance to do some stuff in that space. We're working with a media organization at the moment in the gaming space uh, because they want to double down to because they believe in like what I was saying before in, you know, creating extra content they can afford to during this time to try to get those extra fans. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's really uncertain, you know, talking to one of my friends at KPMG right now, um, you know, he said basically all of his contacts and he's a, he's kind of a senior director in, in a position there. He was saying that all the discussion around there is just survive and talking to another friend of mine, you know, their thing is that if you survive out of this situation as a company, you're, you're a winner. Essentially, it's it's almost like last man standing kind of thing, which makes which makes some sense to me. Um, mm-hmm. So it's going to be interesting to see spend. Obviously, you know we're going to see a lot of cutbacks in our industries, just like we've seen in um, sports industries. And I think the AFL is probably the biggest one because that was mandated by the AFL that that has some sort of controlling ownership of all of the teams. They're almost like a governing body in themselves to the sport where they're basically mandated every single team, you need to stand down 80% of your workforce as a whole. And they have to, you know, their executives have taken 20 to 40% pay cuts. They've stood down all casual staff. I think a lot of any full-time staff who's still operating some are only doing three to four hours a day of paid work, you know, this kind of stuff too. We haven't seen that announcements happen to ASL yet. We haven't seen those announcements happen to Gfinity, to Mineski, um, to any of these large tournament operators. We play those those kind of people, um, but I think we're going to start seeing that too. And then the question is, um, what brands are going to double down on spend? One of my friends is an influencer manager. He's selling more than ever before, but. Um, you know, we had a gaming share company that we were close to signing with one of our exclusively managed talent, and they said we can't get the chairs out of China, so there's no point in us sponsoring because we can't sell them. So then, it's so much uncertainty right now. And, and talking to TJ, who I mentioned before yesterday, who's a you know co-director in the company, is saying that 
any any sales pipeline deal that was ever happening for us, no matter how close we were to um, to closing it, is considered off until it's you know formally discussed again over email or phone that yes, it's still on, <laughs> and that's you know that's the way. And you know, talking to some of my other friends too, it's the same. The, the, the funnel has fallen over. But for you, if you're a company in that space, for us in Australia especially, we, we've got a few stimulus packages that have been announced and my accountant is doing up some some documentation for me at the moment, but he tells me that I'm most likely uh, going to receive some sort of rebate on employee tax or, or BAS or whatever. I don't know. I'm not an accountant. I don't know what the words are, but essentially, you know, an employer pays tax on behalf of an employee. I'm likely to get a certain amount of that back. And I think originally the government announced you know, small businesses might get 2000 Now they're saying it's a minimum of 20 and it could go up. It could change in the future. Who knows? But, you know, if you're a, if you're a employee in any country at the moment, talk to an accountant as soon as possible and see what stimulus packages the government's offering because 20 grand to anyone at eSports is like a life changer a lot of the time. Um, and talking to a team owner who's a friend of mine, he's like, we've been rubbing nickels and dimes together for so long that 20K is almost an opportunity for us to do some stuff like, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's obviously not a gift. It's, it's, a, you know, it's a rebate on tax or, you know, however that kind of thing works. It's not like they're just going to wire 20 K to you and you can just go on a holiday where you can't really go on a driving holiday somewhere. Um, but you know, there's, there's certain opportunities available to you. And, you know, in the past with, uh, when I worked at thermal take, my marketing budget for the year was $12,000, not including samples, um, for reviews and not including, um, PAX Australia, the once a year convention, because that's, you know, five to 10 X $12,000 just by itself. So we're used to that. And that's, that's why I would run tournaments while commentating them. That's why I'd run tournaments while playing in them. <laughs> you know, I would be the server tech, I'd be the in-game admin and, and I'd be the marketer and all this kind of stuff. And we're used to, we're used to doing things like that. So, you know, now's the time for us to continue being a bit crafty, but it's definitely got to be hard. And I think I saw that team, is it reciprocity who were looking to list in Canada? You know, they've said that they were raising money and, and looking to list on the TSXV. And because of this, the bottom's fallen out of them. And they've yeah, basically they had, had to fall with everyone. Yeah, everyone except for their founder, I think, their founding staff and one franchise that they own. And that's, you know, that, that's all she wrote. And I know a lot of people who are raising capital right now. And it could be very similar, you know, for a lot of these people. I talked to talked to one guy on Friday who works with really high net, high net worth individuals in the Middle East. And on Friday, he was saying like, it's not really affecting them, but who knows? You know, and, and I think for a lot of um, anyone right now, even my friend who's selling all of this extra stuff, um, who knows if, if that's going to continue? You know, let's say Red Bull says, hey, let's take this opportunity to sell um, you know, to, to sponsor a bunch more people and to, you know, get people can in hand, as they like to say, um, or what happens in six to 12 months when they simply can't get products, when, you know, the post office is considered no longer as some sort of essential service for sending anything except for medical supplies or something like that, you know? So you just, so you just really don't know. It's, it's play by ear. Um, and I think now, you know, more than ever is important to have some sort of personal emergency savings and, you know, maintain positive. And there's definitely some silver linings out of this. You know, the Steam numbers are exploding. Um, you know, I posted a I posted a photo on my LinkedIn and Twitter of GamePer.com, which is owned by the Gamers Group, at their traffic on their site. It's ridiculous. Like, you know, it's, it's kind of like this, and then it just goes whoop, straight up. It's amazing. You know, there's, there's so many. There's some opportunities available in here, and I think it's you know the esports and gaming market is a wide. We have to be entrepreneurial 
because where we're sitting, we can't function like a corporation. So people are seeing those opportunities and trying to take hold of them. Okay, awesome. So, you know, I like to end every episode with my three standard questions. So, you know, what's your favorite game to watch? Favorite game to watch, I think it would have to be CSGO. You know, it's it's such a – it's it's what is it, 20 years old, Counter-Strike as a whole now, but still it's it's easy to understand and it's such a high skill ceiling. And, yeah, it's just an amazing esports title. So what's your favorite game to play? Right now, I'm really enjoying Borderlands 3. But for me, since I kind of quote-unquote retired from from playing CSGO, it's been Dota 2. I think over the past seven years, I've sunk like three, 4,000 hours into that game, and I'm not sick of it yet. There's so many different things that can happen each time. Sometimes you get really excited about the early game. Sometimes you get really excited about the late game. Sometimes you get excited about supporting versus carrying versus, hey, I just really want to try this cheesy build and do something funny with <laughs> myself or mates. So for me, that's that's got never-ending playtime, and you know, I've spent – uh, you know, sweet F4 money on that game. Besides supporting esports and buying compendiums, um, yeah, I haven't I haven't done anything else. Awesome. So who's your favorite video game character? Mario, Luigi, Pikachu, you know? Something I never thought about before. I think if I think back about fond memories about some sort of character, it'd be the Battlefield 2 Medic, which is more of a class than anything else <laughs> because I just had so much fun, man, playing that game. I have a tattoo of Battlefield 2 on my leg and it's what I grew up playing. It's what I grew up talking about. It's what I grew up thinking about all the time. And um, playing a Medic in Battlefield 2 is great. You get four grenades, you get an assault rifle, and you can revive your mates. Pretty OP if you ask me. But so fun. <laughs> Awesome. Well, you know, Chris, thank you so much for this. This was extremely insightful. You know, thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Make sure to follow me on Twitter, Justin J E S Q, and check Apple Podcasts for all our past episodes.